Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Thriving Minds podcast. I am Professor Selena Bartlett. Today, we're joined by Dan Martin, who has 25 years of human service experience, and he developed and trains the hero model. Hero meaning helping everyone, each other, reach out. And he is joined by Raven Bartman, who is one of the senior staff, peer navigators, and is also an international consultant in the hero model. It's so exciting to have you here today and to learn more about what you've been doing, the reasons why, and also to reach out and help other people be able to reach you. Thank you for so much for joining us today. Would you like to start by telling us a little bit about yourself and the audience so they can know a little bit more about what you're doing? Um, sure. Thank you. I'll, sh- I'll share first and then invite invite Raven. Um, uh, so I'm, uh, I live in and have my whole life in Southern Ontario, Canada. And I worked for 25 years in the, uh, in the child welfare field here um, in child protection services amongst um taking there were times where i took breaks and worked in adult mental health um addiction sectors but kept getting drawn back to child protection and uh in brief um <clears throat> i worked basically in every position possible both frontline and supervisory managerial and in four different organizations in ontario and um kept moving from agency to agency thinking maybe if i go here it will be different um and what i learned was um, it really didn't matter the agency. What mattered was how it was we were um, choosing to, del- to deliver service to young people who we decided we would be their corporate parents. And um, my short story is we are awful corporate parents, um, period, end of story. Um, that uh, systemically we um, often do more harm than good. And um, the outcomes for young people who left state care are horrifying. And what I've learned over time is um, that's not isolated to Southern Ontario, but frankly, worldwide, definitely North America wide. And so I decided I can either continue doing what I'm doing because I did that whole Einstein thing, just working harder, trying to, you know, make something that's not working work better the next day and going home with a bellyache, which was really important because the bellyache was my own adverse experiences of the system. Um, and needed to pay attention to that. So developed Hero. Um, and basically it came actually out of a conversation. Um, uh, and I'll speak a little bit further to this later, but that I had with a man named Kevin Campbell, who's well known in the, in, in internationally and in uh, from family finding and his work in family finding. And we had a conversation where we basically said, look, if the system can't do it or is choosing not to do it and it being helping youth actually do the reverse of what child welfare has done, which is disconnected and dismembered youth from their families, their communities, belonging, all of that. Um, could the youth themselves do it? If we created, you know, um, basically the forum and a format, could they do it? And the answer is a resounding yes. And so um, it's what led to HERO. Um, and the development of Hero, and uh, maybe at that I'll stop and turn it over to Raven to share a little bit about herself and what brought her um, to Hero because um, she has so significantly influenced its evolution um, over time. So uh, yeah, I'll, I'll stop there. Yeah, so just quickly, thank you for the opportunity. Um, my name is Raven Bartman. I'm 25, um, and I grew up in Ontario, Canada's child welfare system from the age of nine. Um, and aged out at 21 um, without permanency. Uh, And that lack of permanency significantly shaped um, my life. And I think it influenced greatly um, my um, implementation, I guess, or working alongside uh, Hero. So I think I started working alongside Dan at 17 um, in the Hero process as a peer navigator. And basically, Uh, A peer navigator is somebody who has been in care and also went through the training of Dan's hero model. Um, And as a peer navigator, there's just a different sense of credibility as opposed to working alongside a social worker or a professional, um, because a peer navigator has been through similar situations, um, similar traumas, adversities. uh, And it just gives, you know, you get to walk alongside um, somebody else as they create networks uh, and you kind of dismantle or aid in the dismantling of whatever the system. 
has kind of pre-outcomed for that youth or child. So uh, Raven, how did you come to find Dan and Hero? Uh, Dan was actually a manager at the uh, child welfare agency that I grew up in. Um, So Kevin Campbell had come, um, I want to say for a weekend, and I think I was maybe 16 turning 17 at that point. uh, And I was not uh, a big fan, I guess, of Kevin's model at 16, uh, very much. There were, I was set in very systemic ways. Uh, at that point, I was closer to aging out and um, I lacked permanency at that point. I was like, why do I need people? And that is the whole process of also family finding as well as hero. Um, so I was very resistant to that. And I think it was just safety, right? That trauma response of let me keep myself safe because in the past, um, the professionals hadn't. So um Dan had worked with Kevin, I want to say for maybe a year, I'm not sure the timeline, um, but then Dan started implementing his hero process. um, And, you know, that I wasn't a big fan at the start. Um, I gained some trust in that with Dan and the people he worked alongside. I helped kind of, um, I guess, change, put in some implementation of my own ideas within hero Uh, And then the process was easier to do once I had kind of understood it, aided in it, um, and then understood the benefits significantly. I think there was pressure as I was aging um, that there's 21 being kicked out of the system um, was just looming and I didn't know what I was going to do. So recognizing that you need people, um, but I do wish I started earlier, honestly. Um, You know, I didn't have those trauma responses that kept me uh, safe. Um, my own eyes in australia um, we only just made it 21 it was 18 so if you can imagine that um scenario it's terrible Uh, so i think at this point it'd be really good idea to introduce the audience to the hero model and talk a little bit about what because people won't know what that is here and then if we start with Dan and then Raven, if you could then add how you changed it or or made it relevant to lived experience, I guess, or made it more, maybe that's, you know, that would be great uh, to understand. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm glad for, you know, both parts of the question, if I may, because uh, uh, what we say now, and I think we weren't, wasn't, you know, necessarily intentional. I think it was intentional, but not by kind of design, what we did was we ended up looking to the youth as advisors and um, we needed their advice. Um, And I I tell this story and this will frame kind of talking a little bit about Hero. Um, When we started to do this, um, youth came to me and said, oh my gosh, someone is finally listening to us. This is exactly, you know, what we think that we need. You know, some of the youth had experienced our early kind of iterations of the process and said they just felt, you know, heard. And so they were, you know, um, for lack of a better term, kind of stroking my ego a little bit about, uh, wow, I felt really cool and great. And then they looked me square in the face and said, now do you want to get it right? And it that was like in the you know, there was kind of epiphany moments that led to hero. And then there's just a key epiphany moment um, when we said, wait a second, we're talking about not listening to youth and we're not listening to them in this process. Let's open ourselves up to, um, uh, you know, this and see what um, really truly pay attention to what they have to say from their point of expertise. So um, hero, so hero again stands for helping each other um slash uh everyone or excuse me everyone slash each other reach out and the two e's in hero are intentional everyone is the staff the people are who are providing support and service um to young people we we knew that we needed to shift mindset um in a in a grand kind of way as opposed to you know a person doing something differently and then having the system push it back and push it away um, so, and then the second part was each other. Um, it was youth helping youth help each other. And we as staff being on the outside, getting out of the way um, and allowing for and fostering um, the capacities and capabilities of young people to do the work. The The process is a um, workshop-based 
process. The workshop is a catalyst to a process. I want to really reinforce process. Um, and so youth come in to Hero. Um, and I won't speak a lot about the detail, Raven. I'll allow you to kind of speak a little bit to, to you know, what, what advice you were able to provide. Um, but so youth come in and and the, the major goal of the process is for youth to regain a sense of agency in their own lives. Um, and so that's designed into the process. Everything we do, whether we're standing around throwing a ball around a box, is way beyond that. It's conceptually connected to something very intentional and helping them understand the importance uh, of adult relationships as, as buffers to adversity. Um, and it was very much... A, it was very much in response to learning about ACEs and understanding the implications for that developmentally. And then, you know, the socio-emotional outcomes for, for, um, for youth and systemically how we, we quite literally create those things. And so, yeah, it's a, it's a workshop based um, approach where we bring uh, these young people of like lived experience together, break down the, the silence and the isolation of living this life alone, and, and model the idea of building a network through bringing youth together so that they then work together to support each other to build their own lifelong sustainable network. So they leave to that instead of leaving to the miserable, horrible outcomes of uh, homelessness, loneliness. I mean, we are the feeder system to uh, the homelessness industry now um, and to um, other quote unquote industries, including trafficking and so on. I didn't want to participate in that anymore. So we can speak more to it, but I think Raven's voice is probably. Yeah. So Ra Raven, why don't you step us through um, when you first came and then what you noticed and your contribution, that'd be fabulous. Um, so what I noticed when I first um, started working alongside Hero was this big sense of urgency um, within the professionals. So they were fully understanding that we needed people and they were understanding that the system was going to drop us off. And I think as youth, we understand that, um, but there was no pressure in it because our whole life is urgency, right? Um, you know, there's just that feeling. So we weren't fully grasping um, and they were pushing us and pushing us and pushing us. And there were so many systemic barriers and emotional barriers and like traumatic, uh, like trauma responses that kept us from understanding the urgency. Um, and I just kind of had to like have everybody take a step back and be like, you know, you guys aren't understanding. Um, you need to allow us kind of weight us into the water instead of expecting us to be jumping in. Um, and I think allowing uh, more of a weight was type uh, having us form relationships with them, understand our trauma and kind of how the system um, uh, created or allowed that to happen. There was kind of a snowball effect within that. Um, and then a big implementation was courage, worthiness and vulnerability. Um, and so we implemented that and that's an activity that we do at the beginning and we have the youth define courage. What does that look like? What does that feel like? What does that sound like? What are experiences that allow us to feel um, courageous? And so that it's all their own words. We keep it up and then we move into um, worthiness. So what is worthiness? What does it feel like? Are we inherently worthy? Um, what are experiences that allow us to feel that, et cetera? And then we move into uh, vulnerability. Um, what is vulnerability? What does it feel like when we're vulnerable? Um, how does it affect us? How does that show up? Uh, and then we have we ask them, do those words coexist? Um, can they have a relationship or a connection between them? And often they understand that in order to be courageous, we have to understand that we're worthy um, and step into this place of vulnerability. And I think a lot of the hero workshop is understanding that vulnerable is okay. Um, because I think growing up in the system, we are placed in this very vulnerable state for so long and it doesn't feel okay. The trauma responses attached that don't feel okay. Um, so having this understanding that feeling vulnerable doesn't have to be detrimental or dangerous, um, that that vulnerability in creating new relationships is healthy. Um, you know, stepping into that and understanding that you're worthy, sorry. Um, my apologies, just one second. Okay. Um, understanding that you are uh, worthy to have relationships around you uh, and then having the courage to reach out and do so um, and even courage and understanding that those relationships, um, you know, should be developed beyond systems, should be developed beyond 21 um, and that you're deserving of having relationships that are lifelong or, you know, unconditional to you. 
Amazing. So are you uh, open to share your story, Raven? Um, I can share bits and pieces of it uh, pertaining to specifics. Um, what are you looking for kind of exactly? So other people can understand uh, what you went through and then and how you had the courage to actually open the door and step into the hero because I don't I think that's a very hard amazing step for many people to actually take and that's what I see out there because by the state time or age that you did uh, do that a lot of people that I know in the system are not in that space at all they're often uh, many other things have happened that would not allow them to want to take that step at all so I'm interested yeah. to know what sort of support systems that you had had around you that allowed you to um outside the actual corporate system were you in family or with someone that um, supported you or something like this that because you you seem like a very amazing young woman but what you know people listening might think well how did she do that um honestly our youth are um just the most amazing people I get to work with um and I wouldn't I guess, um, say that it was support or other people that allowed me to, there is so much strength in our youth, um, when they fully understand that they're worthy and deserving of better. In terms of my own story, um, my siblings and I were placed into care together. So I'm a sibling set of four, I have an older sister and two younger brothers. Uh, we're all very close in age and we were placed in a kinship placement, um, for seven-ish years. It kind of depended on which sibling you're talking about, um, how long we ended up staying there, but it was an extremely abusive dynamic, um, it, lifelong trauma uh, from that placement, but our agency had kind of deemed it as good because we were all together and it was kinship. And, you know, you can understand the logic behind that, but it didn't end up happening in the way that they hoped. Um, so from there, my siblings and I were split up for the most part, um, and I ended up moving probably eight times um, between 14 and 21, um, and I never gathered permanency, and it wasn't to my own, um, uh, it wasn't my own kind of failures within that that didn't um, allow for permanency, it was just not meshing, it was um, different families with different needs uh, and it just didn't end up working out but it shaped my life significantly I'm um, not having that permanency I think at age nine when I went in I never assumed that I wouldn't have gathered permanency um, so at 21 that really hit hard and even that age where I had met Dan what was the moment that allowed you to enter the door of hero what what guided you there how did it happen I think that's the piece that is quite difficult for lots of people to see that they need help, especially when you're yeah. so used to fighting everything on your own. Um, so quite honestly, Hero was pretty uh, forced by our agency. So Kevin um, came with family fighting and they were just kind of like, go to this weekend. Um, and I didn't end up staying. I didn't know anything about it. And I felt quite vulnerable in the situation. Um, and then Dan pushed, uh, Dan had a hero, which he implemented. And again, it was really pushed by our agency. They made modifications to how you um, were uh, systems in the child welfare. So they had changed all of our social workers to kind of this aging out worker. Um, so we were pushed into that. And we didn't really understand why we were there. But after connecting, um, I'd say the first day, uh, it just kind of changed our mindset in terms of there was really an understanding. We were explained why we needed supports outside of um, the child welfare system, outside of nine to five, outside of these conditional people. Um and then I think we were all also at an age where we were close to HAL of the foster care system. Um, so just that looming kind of dread in what's going to happen next. I don't actually have anybody. A lot of the people that I was alongside um, in terms of youth that I grew up with who were also in care, they had the same kind of outcomes. Where they um, uh, Just congratulations. Amazing. Uh can you tell the audience that are listening that don't understand any of this, what is the biggest misconception about children in that in foster care or others that people won't realize at all, and especially people in the system managing young people? 
from your perspective? Uh, yeah, that's such a good question. Um, I would say um, that the trauma isn't their fault. Um, you know, and we often use this quote, the trauma isn't their fault, but the healing is their responsibility. Uh, and as we get older, we need to understand um, how to properly heal and how the trauma of Justice Fitton prior impacted us. Um, we often also utilize like knowledge as power. So in understanding our trauma, we're able to adequately move forward in a positive way. Um, and I would say giving our youth the knowledge to understand what has happened to them, what the predictable outcomes could be and how to offset and kind of balance those so we can move into a healthier space um, and grow. So I take that message that you're telling me that it's not something that youth are, this, this idea, we call it ACEs or adverse childhood experiences. The work's really well known for, which we'll talk about next for, you know, 30 years or more. Um, you're saying that youth aren't um, privy to that information or they're protected from that information to try and, um, because you don't think you're able to handle it. Is that what you're telling me? Yeah. Yeah. So we speak to that a lot. Um, Dan often says under the guise of safety, we are protected from that information, whether it's deemed too heavy um, for us to comprehend. Uh, we aren't um, informed around ACEs as we grow up in care. I actually heard it first um, in Dan's workshop at 17, and I was living those predicted outcomes. Um, so with that information, it allowed me to gain knowledge and also uh, place the fault off myself. So there were behaviors and outcomes and things that I blamed myself for. Like, why are you like this? Why do you act like this? Um, and then understanding ACEs, having that information allowed me to understand why I was the way I was, uh, what the repercussions eventually could be or the predictable outcomes. And it allowed me to change my behavior. It allowed me to understand the trauma and also place the weight off myself where the trauma was not my fault, but the healing is my responsibility. Yes, that's a very amazing statement that you just made. And that is so true uh, and so hard. And that's where Hero so much makes sense to me because it puts guardrails around that healing process to do it as a village because we need a village to heal. All of us do. It's not just, you know, in this system, our society needs to heal too, doesn't it? Because it's creating this in our youth <laughs> um, and something that we need to deal with. Let's talk a little bit now. And we'll come back to that raven because that was such a powerful statement that you just made. Dan, what was your aha moment when you saw the data for the first time around adverse childhood experiences or ACEs? People talk about trauma and they call it, and when you use that word in my mind, it makes it a blob. Whereas adverse childhood experiences, ACEs clearly label exactly a number and an amount and it really changes our scientific understanding of how it affects brain development and leads to the consequences you in the system for a long time you've been across all of it what was it like for you as being on the other side of the fence it must for me it was a big aha moment that crystallized everything i'd been searching for what was it like for you it it alongside a couple of other things um, were the were the aha moment. Um, so the aha moment for me was moments that happened all together at one time. It was being exposed to the idea of this whole family finding movement. Um, it was um, starting to like literally pay attention to youth stories instead of um, you know coming into work and dealing with these kind of widget problems. You know, the, oh this okay problem we need to work on a solution. A child needs to drive somewhere. We get them a taxi cab. Um, like literally this transactional kind of thing. But, and I'm I'm horrified that, you know, I started in child welfare in 1994. It's not 1994 anymore. And it took me until, what, about 10 years ago to understand that ACES research even existed. When I started to learn from it, I had, um, I, I share with Raven and, and the young people I work with that I had kind of like parallel moments where it was like, oh my goodness, this makes sense. Like this just makes sense. And when, so when I was in past, say looking at, at, at a raven in the world and they were behaving in a particular manner, we'd say, okay. And what the system did was it completely individualized those things, did not take responsibility for its role in, uh, including the ignorance to that uh, research that was available. 
but then blamed the youth. And we bounced them around the system in a way that all we did with adversity was meet it with more. And when ACEs said to me, Dan, adversity, adversity, you need to pay attention to these adversities and understand not only that, oh, that makes common sense. This makes scientific sense. This makes sense in the context of, and we often will say to, even to like when we're talking to the youth um, about it, we're talking about, you know, these, these chemical changes that happen that create a different neural path that create, you know, outcomes that now we can understand differently. And, and, and I will tell you, Raven is our lead uh, around ACEs and teaching the youth around ACEs. And she said, one of the main reasons is because she has that credibility to be able to sit across from youth and make it real for them. Um, and so, and when she talks with the youth, they, they, they kind of lean into the understanding. And you mentioned it earlier about, um, you know, circling back to the, the kind of aha moment, um, uh, learning also that one of the greatest buffers, and it makes common sense to adverse experiences is having people around you. So we're going to be confronted with adversity that's life deals adversity in various ways, not just the 10 kind of variables in the study, yes. but yeah. it's going to deal us adversity, but how do we best, you know, thrive in the, in the context of that. And then I start thinking about my own like life circumstances. And I share a story where, you know, I'm 35 years. So I wiped my car out and, and I dad, and you know, and my dad comes and, and he's there for me. And so, and it seems so simple yet. It's not what we do to the young folks is we say, Listen, where you're where you are isn't good. It's not safe. We're going to make you safe. So we take them from not only their families, but everything, everything they identify with community, recreational activities, uh, church community, extended family, everything we, we here, we place them far out of region. So they're not even geographically close anymore. And then we discourage those relationships at the very time they need them. And then we do it again and we do it again and we do it again and we move them about the system to the absolute detriment of them. So it was that, and I want to just quickly, at the same time, also what happened, I won't go into the full story, but there was a young lady who was in care um, and she was 15. And um, this particular date, she saw 11 different professionals throughout the day, everybody from you know school teachers to the social workers, to the child welfare agency, psychologists, therapists, everything. And the next day she was found hanging in her foster home. Mm-hmm. She, she, so all these important people we had assigned to her and she took her own life. And the reason I tell the story is that within less than 24 hours, 15 people, not of our doing, not of the state's doing, but 15 people who loved and cared for her, who we didn't care about, showed up to make final arrangements for her. And over a hundred people showed up for her in her life um, at the funeral. And it was this epiphany moment for me that said, they exist and the buffer to these adversities exist. What are we doing? And so those were key, key moments for me. And yeah. amazing. Um, I just have to pause for a second because it's just uh, it's just not right. So Raven, thank you for doing what you're doing. It's incredible. Can you tell people how you teach young people about ACEs? not the whole thing that you do, but just an introduction so that people can feel how you do it and how you do it in a really safe way that really touches people, that allows them to want to make that next step forward rather than live, moving straight back into it. Um, so we educate them around the whole of ACEs. So um, we start out letting them know that the topic is heavy and that our main message is hope, um, that this isn't a predicted death or uh, very kind of negative predicted outcomes. It's about education, knowledge is power, taking your pen back um, and allowing yourself to heal and grow from the information that you know. Um, so we start off by saying that we talk about ACEs. So we go through the 10 um, and I just say, make a mental note of your ACEs scores. It's important. Um, they never tell us that's not our objective to know their number, um, but we go through each uh, ACEs one through 10, we define them, um, allow the moments to think about it. And then we step into what the predicted outcomes will be. 
can you talk about it, how it can affect health, uh, social, emotional, mental, kind of all of that. Uh, and we keep the style very much a discussion. So interrupt me. Tell me that you, you know, I'm constantly asking, do you understand? Does that make sense? How are you feeling? Um, let me know if you need a break because the information is heavy. Um, but our message again is hope. So it's allowing for a genuine, authentic discussion around traumas that have been endured. Um, and then offering that knowledge so they can allow themselves to do differently with, uh, you know, the things they've been through. And I think it's very important to have those open and honest conversations starting kind of young because our youth go through ACEs starting at a young age. You know, we know that trauma adversity lives in the body. Um, so offering them that knowledge to understand is such a valuable gift. Um, and uh, understanding themselves, um, and allowing, sorry, for kind of um, them to do different than the predicted outcomes. Yeah, so Dr. Ander, who's the pioneer who developed the ACEs study in, starting in 1986, I mean, it's replicated in thousands of papers around the world now. It, it's taken a long time. It's still not really across many practices in this space. They're trying to become, they're trauma-informed, but they're not ACE-informed. So ACE is like a, the scientific understanding behind the blob of trauma. Um, so what I'm leading to here, uh, Raven and Dan, is that people don't think children should be taught these kind of things. Uh, I understand what you're doing, but also just as equally important because the buffering system is really having as many healthy adults around you as possible and healthy young people. It's so important that we have ACE informed carers and the system itself should be deal. If, if they're asking young people to heal, then it's equally important that the adults are doing it at the same time. So I think that's so that way children don't need to have this, but because it's not going to be like that. So what you're saying is that the sooner that um, you understand it, the better. So Raven, tell me when you were sitting in that room for the first time, I don't know who delivered the ACEs conversation. Dan might speak to that. How did, what was the moment? See the, the key here and Dr. Anders said, it's not a screening tool. It's not another label. We don't want more labels on people. And that's why it's so important. There's no numbers or anything. Dr. Ander made it really, really clear. And he's trying to change it because people are using it as a screening tool and it's absolutely not a screening tool. It's an education tool. And I'm so glad that you're using it like that. And what stops people from, um, like what are the guardrails you're putting in place so people don't want to go down the blame route or the victim mentality? Yeah, like how do we keep people safe from that? Like how did you stop yourself from wanting to get really, I mean, it's really good to be angry, but you know what I mean? Like how do you keep it in the education space that allows people that hope of wanting to step forward? Um, I think it comes into an understanding. So for a lot of us, our our adversity aces comes from a generational space. Um, for me, my family has been in foster care the last four generations, five generations. Um, so in understanding aces, um, it allowed me to actually look at my mother's aces and then my grandmother's aces um, and then my great grandmother's aces as well. And I spent a lot of time um, over the last couple, last few years with my great grandmother uh, intimately and just kind of understanding um, why she was the way she was, how the outcomes ended up happening. Uh, and it aided in so much grace and so much forgiveness because it was never her intent um, to have her children go into foster care, to start kind of this generational cycle. Um, that was never the intention. The intention was love um, fully. And I recognize that through all, like my grandmother, my mother, my great-grandmother. Um, and they did the best they had with the information and the life experience and the worldview that they had. And unfortunately it was detrimental um, to the people in their family. It ended up in foster care, but that was never the intent. So I so think under do you want to tell a little bit about her unintended consequence, that beautiful story? That's the story no one gets to hear. Yeah. So my great grandmother, um, I think she had seven or eight children. Um, and when her husband was off to war, uh, she just, I don't know a lot. She was pretty secretive. She was elderly. Um, 
but uh, when her husband was off to war, her children, I believe, ended up going up to, into care. I believe it was kind of a giving up circumstance where she actually um, kind of gave them over to foster care, just kind of couldn't do it. Um, and recognizing that, like being in that time and age, uh, your husband's off to war and you have eight children to take care of, like, how do you manage that? Um, and then I think in growing up, I recognized um, the adversity and the trauma, the ACEs that lived in uh, my grandmother's generation from having to grow up in care, they very much harbored um, pain and trauma and ACEs throughout their entire life. Um, even so my great grandmother passed away last year and just kind of watching the unhealed, um, I guess, versions of her children uh, around her death like it made me sad um, there was kind of an inability to understand and I believe like ACEs allowed me to understand fully through the generations that it was never anybody's intent I don't believe there's a fault in ACEs um, it is just people doing what they can with what they have um, and I don't think we can fault anybody for that Oh, that's an amazing story. And this is the hope piece around your conversations, isn't it? Because the hope piece is that when you move forward, you are actually breaking multiple generations. It's a very, that's why you said courageous, powerful. Not many people can do that, but with the right, as you say, buffered support, like the hero's journey with a lot of support around you, it's, it is possible. And that's what Dan mentioned earlier, the biggest buffer for all of us as a society is to have more people around us that care about us and allow us to take that step. So I might just take this one moment and this is just such an amazing conversation. We understand this information really clearly. Now, do you think it's because as you just mentioned beautifully Raven about, and all of us have these family secrets, by the way, it just plays out differently across the generations. Do you think that's the problem? We don't want to pull a curtain back. Aces pull a curtain back that's been maintained over many generations because because as a society, we, we, we always like to project like on Instagram and Facebook, the holidays in Hawaii or the, the college degrees or the bigger houses. Do you think pulling the curtain back where these secrets are actually in every family I haven't really met a family that can escape them, to be honest. And it's nothing wrong. It's just where we are. Do you think that's why we can't make systemic societal change? I'll try to be brief. Uh, on an individual level, uh, we systemically reinforce shame. Um, we don't give permission uh, to families who we, and you're right, we all experience to varying degrees Um but we don't, in, in general, um, and in fact, uh, so our systems and in child welfare, I believe in youth justice, I believe for the adults, um, one of the things I was going to um, insert in the, the, the last part of the conversation is we realized this. And to your question around, you know, youth having to confront this um, over and over and over again, generation to generation, we said, wait a second, we keep, we, we're doing this and we're quote unquote, catching people like Raven. And then they're doing the work, not us, um, to, you know, shift kind of trajectories. But then we look left and there's someone else coming. So and that's what was one day I was watching, literally watching, like as a participant observer in a workshop and watching these kids just amazing and said, if they can do it, why can't their moms and dads? And so it led to the creation of adult hero and what, you know, and what people had in common, like youth had lived experience and care in common. And they came around and wrapped around that. These people had a quote unquote relationship with child welfare and the relationship was isolating, punitive um, and very lonely. And we said, let's break all that down. Let's bring them all together and show them how powerful they are because the youth taught us they can. It's all capabilities. They're, they're, they're so wonderful. All We're humans. We're wonderful. But we decided we would judge each other. So we, we pitted ourselves by way of the service structure against each other. And I think to your question, and by the way, it was magic to be a part of. To ultimately see these people, not from a place of, of pain, or excuse me, yes, from a place of pain, but not from a place of punishment, but a place of welcoming and bringing them together and celebrating their 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 um, their strengths and wonderfulness. And I, I mean, I every time I hear Raven talk about yeah. her great grandma, I'm I I tingle because we stood in the way of that as a system forever, and so you know. We are an ingrained in the services system. And if it's a services system, we have the services and you don't. 
So we have power over you and we're going to maintain that power over you. And the whole system is designed around that. And we need to stop that. We need to stop that. And we also need to stop saying, well, we're the expert. I'm the expert on Raven's life. Well, how'd that go for the first 18 years of your life, Raven? Yeah, not so good. And, and uh, you know, Raven and I have evolved a relationship over time where if you ask her how'd that go for you, she'll tell you. Um, and good for her. And it was about time I listened. But the greater systems aren't listening to shift in a, in, a, in a large way. We're not listening to the available research to be able to shift. And so I think that really kind of, you know, uh, goes into what you're saying. And the other thing I would add is this. I had to reckon with the fact that from 1994, I behaved in a particular manner in the role because, you know, that's how I learned. And also, you know, my own value systems. And so I played a role in that. And, and in some ways, positive ways, but still I played a role. I had to be able to look at myself in the mirror and say, Dan, what you did was harmful. And it's okay. You didn't do it with intent or on purpose, but you know now. So stop it. And um, that's a huge thing for individuals, um, organizations, state systems to look in the mirror and say, we're actually not helping. We're causing harm. We got to shift. And the nature of the harm we're causing is generation to generation to generation. We need to shift. Um, and I think that's at play in the whole secrets. Let's just keep the secret and keep doing what we're doing. And we'll add to it and add to it. Well, you know, if you add arsenic to something that you're doing, it's just going to be arsenic. Um, and so stop it. The Raven, uh, in terms of family, have you been able to help your own family understand this and like yourself, I know you're courageous and strong. What has been the response? Um, I think it depends on the generation um, that we're talking about. Uh, my siblings, um, for the most part, they've been able to develop kind of networks. And also, so when I developed my network through Hero, um, it aided kind of my siblings having a network as well. Um, one of the significant people was my uncle, uh, biologically, who we hadn't seen in 10 years, um, you know, is very much kind of a staple in my youngest brother's life. Oh, that's um, amazing. How old is your younger brother? Oh, I'm 25, so he's 23. That's so fantastic. Mm -hmm. so he's also, by the way, Raven's brother is also someone who's engaged as a peer navigator over time. Our biggest challenge with a number of the youth is that um, that as they engage and the trajectory shifts, then, and I know the story with respect to the, the uncle and then there's, you know, possibilities and doors open and so on. And so he's, he's been able to like land a really good job and he's moving forward and so on um, where, you know, from a predictability perspective, the worries in terms of outcomes for kids, the trajectory would continue. So sorry, sorry for interrupting. Yeah. I, I don't want to say here, Raven, that, you mentioned a big point is that the end what you're doing with hero is this peer to peer support and we want to just can we just double double down on this emphasis social connection and network can buffer generations of aces rather than having to go in and deal with each thing through talking about it all the time or you know, trying to do a whole lot of different things that might take a year. You're telling me that just having a working out how to interact with a network and know that they're there can buffer and help you move forward. That's a huge statement. I think it allows for um, understanding differently. And also it shifts um, blame. Like, as you said, there's potentially like some unveiling the curtain that can lead to blame um, and allowing and understanding ACEs. Uh, I think it kind of, yeah, shift the blame. So you're not really blaming anybody. It's a sense of understanding around trauma and how it affects, um, you know, on an individual level. And then when you're able to recognize how it individually affected you, you can look back at your mom. And for me, being in generations or parents and being generations of that, I was able to look back three, four generations um, and shift blame. Uh, you know, I don't blame anybody. So in terms of the previous uh, generation for you, ha has there been an openness to hear and see this? Um, I think with my great-grandmother, uh, so I don't have contact with my mom. Um, 
I just think for me personally, the ACEs piece allowed me to change my understanding around her and how she parented um, and her capabilities within that. Uh, with my great grandmother, we had talked about it um, briefly and there was kind of understanding, but again, it was very much um, an individual level of understanding. Um, I spoke about kind of trauma with her siblings after she had passed and there wasn't kind of this um, grasping that I had hoped uh, and sense of understanding for her, but they were also, they're very much older, um, 80s, 90s. So just they were kind of set in their um, beliefs around what had happened. Um, but I think the shifting was very much individual and allowed for understanding and grace. Um, you know, I can put out ACEs information and I can provide knowledge, um, but it's not my job to ensure that it's grasped like between my family. Um, just so I know that it is, um, that there's no blame. Uh, and for me that lifted a weight, you know, I had been told for years that it, it had started with my great grandmother. Um, and for me in learning ACEs, uh, it didn't start with her. Uh, you know, it allowed me to have a very close relationship with her. Um, and she very much was one of the biggest supporters, mentors, um, while she was alive. And even in her death, I'm still learning uh, and she's still guiding. Um, and it's very different than the generations before me that maybe didn't have an ACES understanding. So Alicia Johnson, also another peer navigator at Hero. Nice to meet you and thank you for coming onto the podcast. Nice Do you to want to tell you. us a little me. bit about how you came to Hero? Uh, yeah, I can do that. Um, so I came to Hero a little bit after Regan did. Um, she actually was uh, training to be a peer navigator when I uh, did my workshop, um, which I avoided for a couple of years prior to. Um, I didn't want to do it. Um, I did it just to shut my worker up. Uh, but I went, um, and I, it was a three day process when I did it. Um, and it was, it was a lot. Um, it was heavy at, at first, uh, but in doing the process, I think, you know, the first day I was very much the typical hood on, you know, not talk to anybody, not want to do the work, um, that we kind of normally see. And that was, that was me. Um, I didn't want to be there. I just was there because I felt like I had to, so I didn't really want to do the work. Um, and then it was kind of the third day that, um, you know, Raven and um, a few of the other people there um, and one of the staff kind of, you know, worked with me one-on-one. -on -one. Um, Raven was always kind of encouraging. She was always checking in on me. Um, but it was really kind of being taken aside and I did the work one-on-one -on -one with another staff um, and I kind of opened up to the process and realized what the process um, is and what it can offer, um, which really kind of helped get me reconnected with people that are important and realized that the things that happened to me are not my fault, um, but that I am deserving of those relationships. Um, and it taught me a lot about myself. Uh, it, you know, um, that I had a lot of learning, a lot of growing to do. Um, definitely a lot of ACEs that I had to work on myself. Um, but it, this process helped me um, in doing so. Well, thank you and for then, sharing. Um, yeah, it was, it's, it's been a good, I want to say five years now, Dan, that I've been with you guys. Plus, yeah. That's amazing. So we spent a long time um, talking to Raven about what made her open the, the hero's door and to hear that Raven was on the other side of your door is this the perfect circle and and to hear what everyone feels. And that's why we focused a lot of this on the conversation is opening that door is, is a really hard step, isn't it? And the fact that you had someone yeah. making you do it, I guess, is like a parent in some sense. But... Not wanted parent, but yes, a parent in some yes, sense. Yes, exactly. In some sense, uh, a parent you'd hope you'd have, kind of thing. In some sense, so yeah, 
what I'm really curious, because there's lots of people listening that are either going through what you're going through or in the system helping other people or just parents in general. So tell us about the moment that allowed you to open yourself to this information that didn't make you just leave and not come back. Um, that's really critical point for us to understand because so we can help because what you're doing is helping other people be able to sit for that extra five minutes a bit longer to open themselves up to this is not an easy thing to do um and none of it is your fault that's absolutely certain but being brave enough to hear the science and then want to step through that hope circle that raven talks about a lot and be courageous can you remember that moment uh i can um, so that moment for me was very different than um, Raven's moment. And I think everybody's moment is going to be different. Of course, yeah. Um, but mine actually came kind of in a really dark place in my life. Um, mentally, I was not doing very well health-wise. Um, in general, not doing very well. Um, and I actually was in the hospital. Um, and I had kind of pushed everybody away. Um and this was a, a year or so after doing the hero process. Um, you know, I, I pushed everybody away. I disconnected myself from my circle, um, my group of people. You know, I really didn't feel worthy of any kind of connection. Um, I didn't, you know, I kind of fell into, I guess you could say that, you know, the stereotypes that they um, so often talk uh, about children and youth falling into. Um, and I just, you know, it was in that moment in my life where I was in the darkest hole that people showed up for me. Um, they showed me that, you know, the things that happened to me were not my fault. Um, the things, you know, growing up in care that happened, the trauma, the abuse that I went through, none of that was my fault. Um, and that I didn't have to blame myself for it, but I also didn't have to carry that weight myself. Um, that the people wanted to be there, they showed up not because they had to, but because they wanted to. Um, and they showed me that, you know, I am worthy of being loved, I am worthy of being cared for, but also that I don't I don't have to take the burden for everything um, because it's, it's not my fault. Um, but I very much so blamed myself for everything. So they helped me see that. And Raven um, and Dan, um, every day encourage me um, and they continue to help me see that you know the things that happen and continue to happen are not oh wow thank you for sharing I know that's not easy and also I imagine now you are now showing up for other people too yeah um, it can be a lot uh, but Raven always says you know um, make sure you take care of yourself. And that was something I wasn't doing. Um, and we really strive to help people see that, you know, you do have to take care of yourself in order to take care of others. Um, and that was true. And I didn't believe it at first, you know, um, because I am one that gives, 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 and doesn't take anything in return, um, but also doesn't put myself first or put myself out there, you know, um, so this process and learning about ACE has really helped me to realize the importance of doing it. Yes. And so, thank you for letting me share. And have an ACEs understanding. And totally. And that, that, that's the beauty of science and knowledge, honestly, and having an, an educational approach to this and its power. I don't think that piece, I feel like it's a missing piece in the whole conversations we have around in foster care agencies and others, they don't understand the power of education and science. I mean, they're trying, but as you said, Dan, you're, you've been in the system, multiple different agencies. It's very much an urgency, emergency crisis yeah. kind of situation. That's what I see anyway. And they've always got some crisis and a lot of staff turnover as well. Yes. Yes. So, so let's just, let's um say what would you like to do next? What would you? How would you like to? I'm calling you from Australia. You're in Canada. I know you want to take this internationally. What can we do to help you? How can people get in touch with you? Um, and do you have something online that they could look at doing straight away for someone like 
raven who wants to open that door to hero, but they're in Australia um, or people in agencies that want to learn more. So do you want to tell us how, what, how they can, what they can do to reach you? Yeah, for certain. Um, I just want to, if I, if I can, before I do just say this, uh, Raven wrote this to me a few days ago. And uh, if I, I can share it, I did not ask permission um, and I usually do, but I think I'm okay here, Raven. And if I'm not, you can tell me offline. I can, um, wrote, I, I can take it out. Oh, okay. Um, she it wrote this. Work. Systems can be a tool in terms of healing, but the fault is when they're expected to be your only source of survival and healing. And to me, that is the crystallization of what's needed and necessary. And and I just thought, and I think to your question about, you know, the views of systems around young people is the truth is that we are so deficits focused um, that we create deficit in our view of young people as a whole. When for me, what happened was um, this, this whole potential and opportunity open to see, oh my God, like they're brilliant. They're way smarter than we are. And it makes sense. Um, and they can guide this differently. They know it's just that we need to value them enough for them to know that we know. And and as we did, systems can be a tool in terms of healing, but the fault is when they're expected to be your only source of survival and healing. And to me, that is the crystallization of what's needed and necessary. And, and I just thought, and I think to your question about, you know, the views of systems around young people is the truth is that we are so deficits focused um, that we create deficit in our view of young people as a whole. When for me, what happened was um, this, this whole potential and opportunity open to see, oh my God, like they're brilliant. They're way smarter than we are. And it makes sense. Um, and they can guide this differently. They know it's just that we need to value them enough for them to know that we know. And and as we did, you know, they've changed, literally changed the trajectories of young people's lives. As far as um, HERO, um, you know, we're currently working in Canada and, and the U.S. Um, we have some potential opportunities coming elsewhere, but we want to the goal isn't to be the experts in what we're doing. It's to share what we know and share the likes of, of people like Raven. So we have a website, um, www.hero.ca. Um, That's hero uh, with two E's, by the way. Yes, hero with two E's. Thank you. Um, and all of our contact information is on there. We offer everything from, you know, uh, um, they are our consultants who have knowledge beyond. Um, they'll do public speaking and share if people are interested in engaging them. Um, but, but we'll also, our whole focus is to kind of teach what we do and we do it through experiential learning. Um, and so if there is interest, reach out, let us know. Um, we want to kind of spread the word and and. Oh, thank you for sharing because it helps everyone because that's what we we spent a long time talking about opening the curtain to the, what we call the family secrets that people don't like to talk about but the thing that really are that they're the game changer though isn't it when you open the curtain it does change the whole situation it allows us to see something we didn't want to see and it does really shift a focus away from uh it does yeah the problem and I mean, it to be an something else yeah, and it can be an uncomfortable, you know, curtain or door to kind of open, but leaning into it and leaning into the fear that can come with that opens you up to a world of possibilities that if you don't just, you know, open the curtain, you'll never know you have. Um, no, I don't know if that makes, made sense there. Enough, Absolutely. And, and it can be. I was just going to say it can be uncomfortable and there can be, you know, a lot of fear, but lean into it because it's so, so worth it. Uh, it's it's so true. And, you know, the, the important point of our podcast is for people to realize that everyone has a curtain. So one of my, the taglines for our podcast is making brain health become everybody's business. And like part, of the, part of the conversation here is to, without seeing that, we always want to put it onto someone else. And this is what you talk about a lot, how the system makes someone other when we are all the same people. We just have different numbers, different aces. Some of us won't even be aware of ours because we inherit them from our previous generations. 
Uh, some of us get lucky. It's I call it the genetic lottery of life, um, <laughs> which it really is. But yeah. being a hero, and I love the tagline of yours, is helping everyone and then each other reach out to know that that journey is actually, it actually is the number one thing that can buffer a lot of aces. And, and that's, and we have to keep reiterating that because we tend to like want to do all sorts of very complicated things, but that network and circle, it, it can do a lot too. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you for taking the journey. Um, first of all, Dan, um, it's hard to face up to the reality of our situations. It was very hard for me to draw the curtain back and for me to see how wrong I was in my research and my family history and to see why my sister also developed a mental illness um, and then change my research program. It was very painful, but like you said, once I did, everything became really clear and I get to meet people like you as a consequence. Uh, so thank you, Dan, for starting Hero. Thank you, Raven, for opening the, and Alicia, Peer Navigators International Consultants, for opening the door for others to be able to step through because without you there, I don't think anyone else can stay inside that room and maintain the journey because it is courageous, isn't it? A courageous journey. So thank you for being heroes and thank you for joining our podcast and giving us your time and for helping so many others. <laughs>